KPFT Houston. Y no se ven acciones Y cada tropiezo Recuerda que todo es parte del proceso La gente pelea por el mismo hueso Soy transparente, te transporta ileso This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. 
always mass. Thank you so much for tuning in to another installment of the Latinx Literary Renaissance. This is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. We have a whole crew that puts a stamp on each show. Sometimes they get acknowledged. Sometimes they're here. They are always involved. Today in La Cabina tenemos... Uh, Joe Anthony. And Marlon. What's up, Tony? <laughs> hey, thank you so much for putting together a great program one more time. And we are right about over. There's only about a week left of Hispanic Heritage Month. We're going to try and sneak it a little further along. I do want to mention a lot of important events going on. But the most important event is that today was the last day to register to vote. Now, this is one of the most important elections in a long time. Now, I've heard that a lot. I think I'm going to stop saying that. They're all important. But this is a test to see if the Latino vote will come out, to see if young people will actually vote, and then also to see if non-traditional methods can win elections. Namely, I've already seen a lot of the negative ads going out, and I've kind of been tempted to encourage the candidates to respond in kind. However, we recently had a visit by Beto O'Rourke. He came to Lone Star College, North Harris, and it was a packed house. About 900 students convened. It was there Monday at noon. National News was there. Uh, Lester Holt was there at Lone Star College, North Harris. And then the president of the Latin American Student Organization, Jose Camacho, did a couple of interviews, including a national one. I believe it was Fox Business that spoke with him and then KPRC. So all that is wonderful and edifying. What's interesting to me is that he spoke about some of the attack ads, but he did it in a very interesting way where he acknowledges them, kind of shed light on them, and then took the issues a little deeper. Specifically, he was talking about um, the attack ad that says that Beto O'Rourke wants to legalize heroin and wants everyone addicted to drugs, which is just ridiculous. But he acknowledged it. And I think in the past, I wanted him to go for the jugular because I like to see, especially intellectual conflicts, debates, etc. But I think his approach is actually very smart now, now that I've seen it with young folks and new voters. Because what he does is he points it out, shed lights on it. But then instead of doing direct confrontation, we'll look at all the values underneath it and try and explain it and explicate it. So to, to me, that's kind of the key to his approach. But we'll know soon if that approach worked or not. Another thing he has said, too, is that political consultants and pundits think it's a waste of time to go to college campuses. And it takes time and energy. Students might not show up. They have on this occasion, it's either genius or it was a fun campaign, but it's not going to come through. We got Letty in the studio. Hey, Letty, say hi. Hello. So what do you think? You, you think, of course, we're not endorsing any candidate. We're merely explicating the rhetorical strategies involved. But you think you think this approach 
to the non-traditional hitting messages that might appeal to college students that appeal to African-Americans and Latinos in a different way. You think that's going to work or do you think it's just too many Republican voters to change the traditional voting methods? Um, I'm very hopeful that Beto's, Beto's um, tactics work. And quite honestly, the, the bad press or the bad ads on like prime television is really sad. Um, it just, to me, it just has like a bit of a gap of like how hard hitting and how I suppose easy that these voters look like that they could be, you know, told, Hey, this is, this is okay. Like, it's okay. Only, you know, Ted Cruz has been like pretty much up in and Iowa is aiding as far as like the election buzz over there. He's more concerned about that. But I don't know. Beto is just young. He's young and he speaks with a fresh view. And that's what we need. And, and I think you make a great point in that they're dramatic contrast. It really is a traditional method. And, and you know, I think Republicans are correct. If everything happens traditionally, Ted Cruz will win simply because there's more Republican voters. There's an infrastructure for that. But the contrast is so potent where, you know, I think the attack ads have had an effect. I mean, the, the new poll, well, I don't know. These new polls are still within a margin of error and they're not too much different. I mean, in one week you had Beto up by two points in one poll and then Beto down by nine points in another poll. So there's 11 points spread. So another group of polls came out that had Beto O'Rourke, uh, I think, behind by five and then something like by three, margin of error. And I think it's interesting that maybe to what you're saying, those attack ads, because there's a lot. Have you? I've, I've seen a lot. Have you seen a lot of those attack ads? Are we, are we allowed to mention uh, other television stations? Let me think. We, we can't endorse folks. We can't, we can't mention other stations. We don't like to because they're making a ton of money. But go ahead, because especially now, I mean, that's kind of the point where yeah. you've got commercial stations making a lot of money off these ads. Which which station? And which ABC. ABC has been You like, can't mention them, though. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. No, I, I felt bad. I turn on the television, and because like my parents love ABC, it's like I turn it on to watch news, and all I see are these horribly placed ads about Beto. And it's like, wow... ABC, I thought y'all guys were pretty much afloat. Like, how much are you getting paid to play this stuff? Well, they're, they're getting, I mean, that's the complication. They're commercial stations. Yeah. And from what I've heard, just the Fletcher and Culberson campaign have made about $7 million in political ads. They've had a ton of ads as well. Yeah. No, I, have I've you seen, seen theirs? Yeah. Have you seen theirs? So, literally, they're getting paid millions to run them um a shout out to abc they did include me on the community first page and That's they profiled me for hispanic heritage month so we're not we're not saying terrible things about them we're merely pointing out the fact that commercial stations are making a lot of money and unfortunately it's whoever has the most money to put those out there but peto has said he's not going to spend money on those ads or take pack money right and the, you know it's it's muckracking and jerry what is gerrymandering is that the political term for it well the muckracking and well the gerrymandering helps the the republicans who are voted in the senate uh, into state offices but i guess we'll know in 20 what is it 26 days now we'll know in 26 days if beto was brilliant and uh, adopted this 
very new innovative strategy and he's working hard yeah or if he was just a dreamer <laughs> and texas is going to be texas for decades to come because honestly unless some new sort of platforms are invented in the next two years this is going to decide how elections run i think how wonderful <laughs> so if you thought you had a lot of attack ads now if Ted Cruz wins with these ads, which, you know, I, I haven't seen any polls that gave, like, if I saw a 15-point leap, I I would be like, Beto, <laughs> <laughs> you blow it. <laughs> I haven't seen that big a spread either, but we will we will see. If, if those ads don't work, perhaps we'll have a whole new ball game after that. And then... I know, I think it's October 22nd. Beto has like a concert with Shaky Graves that's going to be um, there. He's Austin. And how many concerts has Ted Cruz done? Oh, Zero. I don't know. There was a comment uh, apparently um, on one of your uh, little ads or like posts. Apparently, this one lady and her, her husband had fun at a rally. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a cruise's rally. Well, well they yeah, can have fun. Yeah, no, know, there's no just, problem with not having no, fun. There's just not too many people around them. So just a very small amount of people versus a lot of people Yeah. at the Beto events. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that. I mean, I didn't even know that there was a rally for Cruz. So. Well, I think it's because you've been waiting for Donald Trump to live up to his word. So the president said he was going to campaign for Ted Cruz, I mean, the, despite the fact that they called each other terrible names, um, evidently the president's supposed to come, but instead the the son Trump came, so that was the event she was talking about. Wow. Yeah. And then Pence has come, but Trump hasn't come yet, and we're running out of October, because he said the quote was that he wanted uh, to get the largest stadium in Texas, and he would fill it up. Unless maybe maybe he expects Ted Cruz to make sure that the largest stadium in Texas is built and get Beto O'Rourke to pay for it, but, but <laughs> you know that that would sound a little bit like it. I mean uh, modus operandi, <laughs> or or the other suspicion I have is that it seems that if if Donald Trump thought that Ted Cruz was for sure going to win, he would come and then take credit for the victory and say, "See, you won by." whatever, 5% or 3%, and say, I got you that. That's, that's yeah. I, I'm tempted to think that if he doesn't come, it's because Ted Cruz is in severe trouble, which I, apparently he is. And he doesn't want to come and say, okay, I, I, you know, buried the hatchet, and then you lost because of it. So to me, that's a big sign. If If Donald Trump does not come, that seems to me to be a sign that the Ted Cruz camp and the Trump camp believe he's going to lose uh, on the other hand too i think if um if if uh ted cruz does get Donald trump to come it's going to rain money for beto so if this is a, this is a weird time for both candidates i yeah, think that that is a, it's a bit, i mean but that's true because well kavanaugh who hasn't heard a lot about this man but he was he was sticking up for him but hey i mean it's only a couple of opportunities you could have somebody that looks worse than you do and represent <laughs> you. See, this guy was such a such a shoe in. It makes me look good, and I'm I look pretty bad. You know, <laughs> that's what I thought about. That, that. is pretty bad <laughs> when someone that 
so many people are mad at and hate can make you look good. And, and that's that's Trump's motto. Uh, that's his that's, whole that's, M.O. And that's the situation, too, that uh, well, Cruz supported him as well, too. So so we'll see again. We hope that you did register to vote today. This is it. It's over. So if you've been saying you, you wanted to vote, uh, so I, I'm not sure if you can. You know what? We should have someone look up. Can you still mail it in by midnight? Perhaps you can still mail it in. Perhaps you can go to harrisvotes.com. You must print it out and put a stamp on it. I, I believe maybe if it's postmarked by midnight. Tony, I think I heard this morning it had to be post, postmarked by midnight, but I'll look online. Check, check online. And I'll post it to our website. Perfect. Yes. Because I was just trying to animate people that could have walked in person or grabbed a deputy voter register, which I am. But if you don't know a volunteer deputy voter registrar, perhaps you can download it, print it out, and get it stamped by midnight. Of course, that, that implies that you know that we're here to get stamps. I do want to say... Grocery stores. I do want to say one <laughs> thing. I've heard these these stories where people were blasting young folks trying to make fun of them by saying that, oh, young people don't want to, can't register to vote by mail because they can't find stamps. L- let's get a few things straight. One, um, I get it. I can't find stamps. I can't find checks, and I don't know how to fax you. So let's get that straight. However, <laughs> <laughs> if I really had to, I could. Really, what the young people are saying, why the heck can't we vote online? And that's totally, totally, totally reasonable to say. Because, you know, I, 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 I do, what, what can I do online? I can renew my license online. I can get a credit card online. Uh, I you pay, don't want to do that, though. <laughs> I, I can pay all my bills online. All my bills are on. Wait, so you can pay it with a credit card? Kind of like writing hot checks? You pay bill online with a credit card and we can what? pay bills. <laughs> you can. Now, no, it's, it's don't po- do that. Please. At some point, they'll catch you. They'll catch you. But so I'm kind of surprised that we can do all that online, but we can't vote online. So to me, when I see those stories, it's the people in power trying to rub it in the nose of the youth that they can't vote online and trying to make sure that they never will. So they're humiliated, mad and and don't vote. Now, I think young people need to come in, make a big difference, make sure that people know that they voted and that the people they supported won so that sometime soon we can vote online i think we should i think we should be able to vote online i think every candidate must create an uh, an online website i think they must answer a certain number of questions so that anyone can then just click on their name see them hear their answers and if they don't do that they should not run for office that doesn't cost that doesn't cost a lot of money but at the same token it would also get the young people in and get the ball rolling because there's a lot of candidates who dodge every single issue. That's that's my soapbox. That's a real soapbox. I'll stop. Any any thoughts on voting by email? Um, security. And, I mean, hacking. And there's always, like, some sort of loophole or some backdoor that people can use. And that probably just... It won't happen, but it could happen. But who knows? I mean, didn't... I think they just... Um, Trump tried to pass like some sort of protection for elections a couple of minutes ago, maybe 30 minutes ago, I saw. Well, he's probably trying to get the 
Russian endorse Putin endorsement to to Ted Cruz maybe that's that maybe that's what's going on. Quick prediction: In how many years will we be able to vote online? Ten years, fifteen years, or thirty years? I'll give you ten. Ten. Okay, I'll settle for that. Few few writing announcements. Tomorrow night, Wednesday, there's two. There's three events. Let's see. You have right about now their Latinx poetry spot at Avant Garden. We love going to that spot. I was invited. I couldn't make it. It's for Latinx poets. Go check it out at Avant Garden tomorrow night. Also tomorrow night, I'll have to be at the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board, the Mayor's Hispanic Heritage Awards tomorrow. That's going to be at 6 p.m. at the Legacy Room in City Hall. Check that out. Some of our favorite folks are being awarded. Gracie Signs is getting a Lifetime Achievement Award which is awesome, well-deserved. She also deserves being in the mural at the Heritage Society, the Mixed American History Heritage Society. And then I just realized Diverse Works is doing a bilingual poet night tomorrow at Match. I had no idea that was happening, but that's going on. And then also Saturday, October 13th, is going to be a really nice book conversation with Julissa Arce. She actually has a new children's book, Someone Like Me. It's going to be a thinking boutique 1570 South Derry Ashridge Suite 109, Houston, Texas 77077. That's Saturday, October 13th, 7 p.m. Someone like me. It is the author, best selling author, Julissa Arce, who, of course, you know from her other work. And it is our dear friend, Alisa Araujo Eleticia, who is promoting that. And she had a great write up in the Houston Chronicle as well. We'll try and repost those. To let you know what's going on. I believe we have some information. What is the verdict? Little silent pause. No, so there was no information? I'm sorry, I thought you were waving at them. Oh, no, she was um, she was making hand signals oh, to me. Oh, she was telling me to wrap it up. Sorry. I, I thought she said, hey, I found out about mailing. We'll still find out about that. We'll take a short musical break. And then we're going to come back with the poetry and the activism of... Roberto Carlos Garcia. And then we've got a friend who's going to have a great exhibit at Mecca for Day of the Dead, Luis Gavito. So get ready for Latinx poetry and cultura. You're listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Heaven to Say on the Air. <laughs> Sweat. 
And when I'm in Houston, I always, always, siempre listen to Nuestra Palabra. Eso, little Manu Chan, little Jorge Ramos, that's what's up, it's Nuestra Palabra, Latinx writers having to say on the air at 100,000 watts, we are joined through the magic of telephony with our friend Roberto Carlos Garcia. Can you hear me, Roberto? Yes, how you guys doing? Good, hey, thank you so much for calling in. I want to let folks know that you've got your second poetry collection titled black maybe it's available through willow book uh, willow i'm sorry willow books your first collection menicolia is available from servana parva press your poems and prose have appeared or are forthcoming in bettering american poetry the root those people rigorous academy of american poets poem a day the new engagement public school stillwater review Gawker, Barrel House, Tuesday, an art project, the Accentos Review, Lunch Ticket, and many others. He's the founder of the cooperative press Get Fresh Books, LLC, a native New Yorker. He holds an MFA in poetry and poetry and translation from Drew University and was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. And you can find out more by visiting RobertoCarlosGarcia.com. Hey, welcome to Nuestra Palabra. Thank you for having me. Very happy to be on the show. No, igualmente. And we're hoping that near the end of the interview, you've got a couple poems to share. And we also want to thank you and your generosity because we've got five copies of your book to give away at the end of the interview. So thank That's you fun. so much. Thank you so much. No problem. Much. My pleasure. And uh, so, so tell, um, what, I, what I love is that you're an artist, but you have a lot of activism. Tell us about the activism first, por favorcito. Uh, you've got a lot of projects going on. What, what are the... Why? Por qué, por qué tanto, man? You're supposed to be just kind of with your head in the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's important to be engaged. Um, you know, art and politics aren't separate things for me. Um, you know, they are one and the same. So my writing is how I tend to engage in the issues. And so, you know, not only just poetry, but essays as well. These, these days, predominantly essays. Uh, Black Maybe begins with an essay and ends with an essay. Um, and just very recently, uh, for Queen Mob's Tea House, I was part of a special issue put together by the poet uh, Jasmine Mendez. Hey, hey, hey. 
Hey, right? Yes, <laughs> um, where are the children? And so, you know, the poems and the essays revolved around, uh, you know, where are the babies of these refugees, you know, seeking refuge at America's borders, but instead of meeting with, you know, hospitality and empathy and sympathy, you know, they're separated from their children and they're arrested and they don't know where their kids are. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to be angry about mm. today. There's a lot to, um, you know. There's a lot of uh, areas where we need to take action, and one way I can do that is with my writing. That's potent. And, and you did mention that you write poems, but because of the moment we're in, you're being pulled to the genre of, of essays. Tell us a little bit about that. What, what does the essay do that that is urgent of these times that's different than what the poems can do? You know, one of the things um, that I learned in my MFA and just just being a fan of poetry in general, you know, there's a time and place uh, to make it plain, mm. right? To say it directly, to back it up with facts and research, to, um, you know, to pull a very specific chord in people that, for me anyway, you know, I can't always do in poetry. Now, even though I'm a big fan of the New Yorican school, the black arts movement, and it was very politically, you know, uh, charged poetry, those uh, South and Central American poets of the 70s, um, you know, whose names are escaping me right now because I'm on the spot. But, <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, they they spoke very eloquently about what was going on uh, through different genres, aside from poetry. They would make speeches, you know. Um, they would write fiction. And so, uh, you know, as an artist trying to keep his options open, you know, I'd go towards those genres. But, you know, there's nothing like reading a James Baldwin essay, right, about... Mm. Um, you know, uh, in, racial inequality or income inequality um, and, and being moved to then also join the conversation, right? And so, you know, I feel like nonfiction gives me the ability to do that in a way that you know, poetry doesn't. And that's, you know, that's me, but yeah. But, you know, you know what you're saying makes really profound sense because obviously, especially back then, I mean, this is before we were a demographic that, People are at least going to tolerate us because they think they get five bucks out of our pocket. Uh, you know, <laughs> they must. You're right. They they had all those tools. Now, you know, our communities are not archived and we're erased, so not all of that is going to make it through the system. So, I, I like what you're saying. We probably just know them in one dimension, but of course, they had to do all that to survive. Sin sin duda, you're you're right. Sin I mean, duda. Sin duda. Yeah, sin duda. You know, El Guerrero, right? The warrior um, has to have many, many different tools and weapons in order to fight the good fight. And so, mm. yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have one question. Sure. In this book, when I was reading, I noticed um, the first essay that really caught my attention was... Um, so what are your thoughts on assimilation, like uh, this particular path of progress that 
you, our education puts before us, and then, you know, getting the law and getting the house with the kids. <laughs> uh, I thought it was fantastic. Like it was, it was very um, fuerte. I guess for me, I could, all I could keep, I would read it and I'd be like, fuerte, so fuerte. Like it's just, <laughs> it's gorgeous. Uh, but thank so, you. So. How, what are your thoughts? You're welcome on the assimilation assimilation process of of being successful and being a writer in your in your situation, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because uh, you know that idea, obviously, of the dream, right? Whether it be the American dream, um, you know, for immigrants, and you know, I'm a child of immigrants. Um, you know, my grandmother's goal was always for me to be a doctor, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, to, to do all of these wonderful and amazing things. And, and for my mother as well, who was also an immigrant to this country, um, you know, that dream, <clears throat> success is nice. We can't deny that, right? Success <laughs> is nice. Comfort is nice. <laughs> but unfortunately, the there's another side of it um, that goes along with that American dream, and that's pretending mm -hmm. you know pretending so you know i'm supposed to pretend the reality of you know the circumstances where i grew up you know uh you know the poverty the struggle now you know hey you're successful forget that that exists mm -hmm. now you pretend that you've always been successful now you pretend that you've always had two cars you know a dog a white picket fence <laughs> 2.5 kids and you know everything is great. What do you mean? And and the further you 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 know fall into that dream, right? Um, Tanisi Coates talks about that in his book Between the World and Me, right? This idea of the dream. Um, you disconnect from reality, and you you know assimilation you know, means just that. It's like almost you become kind of like a simulacrum, right? You don't mm. you're not a real uh, person. For me, part of the the idea of being successful is okay. Now, you know, who can you go back and help? Obviously, <laughs> yeah. somebody they want you know the people you want to help have to want to be helped. Obviously, but you know, how do you go back because that situation is still there? There's still you know you're one of the lucky ones. Let's say like I consider myself sure I worked hard and I did everything I could possibly do to put myself in a position to be successful, but. I still recognize that there's a good amount of things I had no control over, right, that mm -hmm. happened that also contributed to my success. So assimilation for me is, you know, success is great, but it's also dangerous mm -hmm. because, you know, it can it can blind you to, to the, you know, the things that are important. And, and, you know, one day you wake up and who knows, you may be right back where you started from and be unable to survive. Mm-hmm. Potente. Well, and I think with with that sort of deep reflection, we we let's hear some of the poems. Let's hear some of the work so that our listeners can uh, engage. Sure. sure. Um. <clears throat> so I'll read one from uh, from Melancholia, and then I'll you know read a couple from Black Maybe. I guess as we go on. Um, this poem is called uh, Duplicity. Hard. First thing I do as I breathe into a room is search for brown and black faces 
bobbing in America's post-racial waters. I swim peripheral glances, backstroke being ignored, wade on a chair in a corner of the room and chat up the help until some not brown or black one tosses me an integration lifeline. Hard truth. Light and dark sparkle the waters like tinsel. Pretty chimera. No one really has to. Does anyone really have to talk to me? Mm. Um, and that poem <clears throat> really speaks to that idea of assimilation because I think that, um, you know, as brown and black folks, we always stand out when we're, what is it, Claudia Rankin says, throwing against a sharp white background. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we, always, we always stand out. Um, in those spaces that aren't traditionally meant for us. And um, even though you, you, you know, the idea of success is there and you're in these places, we still stand out. And so that, um, you know, that kind of sparked that poem. Mm. Love it. And then you got a poem for us from Black Maybe? Yes. So um, this collection really explores, um, you know, my Afro-Caribbean or Afro-Dominican experience, um, because the you know the Afro-Latin the Afro-Latinx experience um, is a unique one because we're always kind of in between spaces, um, especially because even in the Latino world, the Latinx world, any country, um, we're so unique in the way we address each other. Like I, you know, I was explaining this to my students today, um, reading certain books that discuss these topics. How you know, if you are indigenous, you know, your nickname is Indio. If you are <laughs> Afrocentric, they'll con Negrito ven, you know, mi negro, mi negra, right? Uh, Asian, Chino, you know, skinny, flaco, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, ch chubby, gordo. Am I right? Right, I mean, right. <laughs> we all have these, like, you know, this is just how we kind of communicate. But so the actual, um, you know, if there's any kind of actual real discrimination in any sense, it seems so accepted and natural that we don't even see it. Mm. Um, and so my my goal with the book is not just to obviously present my experience and perspectives, um, but then by extension look at you know okay all the Afrodescendientes in the Americas, you know like not just South Central America, the Caribbean, which is part of the Americas, right, um, and then actually you know, people from Africa today still scattered all over the world, you know, and the indigenous population also, which, you know, their experience mirrors the experience of Afro-Descendientes to this day. So, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a longer poem, but it's, it's a, a poem is called Casta. And if you notice the cover on the right. book, the Casta painting, which were these, paintings um, that were requisitioned by the King of Spain. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of argument as to what they really depict or represent, right? Whether they're representing um, a happy, you know, life in the colonies with people of different ethnicities getting together and, look, it's all good, right? Or um, what I more believe that they represent um almost like a, a warning to Spaniards um, about intermixing, 
mm-hmm. because the the naming of the children between these different groups like uh indigenous and Spaniards we know we call mestizo to these days right um or African and Spaniard mulato and you know lobo and saltatras and no te entiendo all of these this taxonomy right uh, has a negative connotation if it's not a zoological you know name like an, for an animal mulato is a mule literally right it's a, a, a mulo a, a brute a mule um you know lobo is a wolf so uh this poem is casta and it's basically like the taxonomy the list of names they developed and, and how kind of they came about so casta conquistador español peninsular europeo colonized amerindian indio americano stolen slave negro africano español colony criollo colonial indio español mestizo rape español mestizo castizo pass español mafa colony slavery africano español mulato rape Espanol, mulato, morisco, pass. And it goes on. Espanol y morisco, chino. Chino y indio, saltatras. Saltatras y mulato, lobo. Lobo y chino, jíbaro. Jíbaro y mulato, albarazado. Albarazado y negro, cambujo. Cambujo y indio, zambaigo. Zambaigo y lobo, calpamulato. Calpamulato, cambujo, tente en el aire. Tente en el aire y mulato, no te entiendo. No te entiendo y indio, torna atrás. And it goes on. Terceron, one-third, negro. Quadroon, one-fourth, negro. Quinteroon, one-fifth, negro. Hexadecaroon, one-sixth, negro. Octoroon, one-eighth, negro. Musty, one-eighth, negro. Mustafino, one-sixteenth, negro. Griff, three-quarters, Negro, Cafuso, three quarters, Negro, and it goes on. Trigueño, Trigueñito, Cimarron, Rojizo, Moreno, Morenito, Quemao, Quemaito, Prieto, Indio, Indiecito, Creole, Claro, Clarito, Blanco, Oscuro, Oscurito, Negro, Fair, Light Skin, High Yellow, Red Bone, Olive, Midtone, Brown, Dark Brown, Black, and it goes on. White, not Hispanic Latino, check here. Black, not Hispanic Latino, check here. Native American, check here. White, Hispanic Latino, check here. Black, Hispanic Latino, check here. Asian, not Hispanic Latino, check here. Asian, Hispanic Latino, check here. Two or more races, not Hispanic Latino, check here. That's potent. That is important. <laughs> the, the La Casta continues, and I love what you yeah. do with it because it's right under our noses. Mira, mano, exactly. we're out of time. We got to have you back because even even the the poetry just on its own is so potent. And then the chat with you about it, um, you know, we're we're gonna have to dedicate more time to that. Pero I look forward to it. I appreciate that. Yeah, fantastic. Felicitaciones and tu éxito, uh, and uh, we're so happy to to be in touch. And we're at your service, hermano. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. And you're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. That was Roberto Carlos Garcia. And we have five copies of his books to give away. 
The number is 713-526-5738. And now in the studio, we're joined by our friends from Mecca. And we'll be talking about Day of the Dead. But I do want to remind you, the number is 713-526-5738. To win a copy of Black Maybe by Roberto Carlos Garcia, who was just on the show. Really potent stuff. Cover has the cast system. It really is mind-boggling how, how he brings in definitely the, the cast system that we participate in on different forms. But again, I'm going to resist diving into it because now we're talking about Day of the Dead. Now, Luis was born in Brownsville, Texas, the Valley, with the St. Mary's in San Antonio. He's got a Master's of Education from Our Lady of the Lake. This is like the Texas elite schools. <laughs> he's worked with HISD 30 years in the alternative programs and social emotional learning departments he considers himself somewhat of a folk artist in the sense that his inspiration comes from his cultural and spiritual words while working in the missions nestled in the mountains of Oaxaca Mexico Gavito became enamored by the expression of the people he lived with and worked with their expression that came alive in their textiles pottery and prints Although Gavita has not formally studied art per se, it's in his blood since his mother and maternal great aunts were crafters. Well, thank you for coming. Gracias. And, well, first of all, tell folks how they can enjoy Mecca uh, recently with, with uh, the Day of the Dead. Well, first of all, we have uh, several events coming up. We have several events coming up. We have uh, the festival. Uh, the Dia de Muertos Festival falls on the 27th and 28th of October. Uh, we also have the Altar Ofrenda Altars exhibition, which starts uh, with October the 15th and it goes all the way through November the 15th. And then we have the Calavera Rendezvous, which is more of a, an adult fiesta. It's in the evening, and that falls on Straight November. Straight up pachanga, the... in other words. So, uh, <laughs> good that falls on November the second. Now, the the festival itself is very family friendly. There's events, there's entertainment, and of course, a lot of food. I love it. Now, and then, of course, uh, give people the website so they can go and know when to each event happens. Yes, it's uh, mecca-houston.org. Fantastic, and then of course, I think these are tr these are. Uh, he's been going on for a while, of course. Mecca is. Oh yeah, the yeah. The the other muertos uh, festivities have gone for a long a long while. I'm I'm the curator for the altar exhibition, and when we think of the other muertos, uh, actually it's two things going on simultaneously. You have the 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 remembering. The remembering of our ancestors, mm. but at the same time, it, it celebrates this this relationship, this very familiar relationship that that many Mexicans have with death. You know, they dance with it, they embrace it, they party with it, and it's very, very much part of their life. It's not something to fear. And one of the things I I really want to point out is, is that Dia de Muertos is not the Mexican Halloween. Thank you for pointing that out, though. Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't not have anything to do with the the following of the cult of Santa Muerte. That those are 
completely different things. And it's important to put it out there because I was in Walgreens the other day and the Dia de Muertos is there put in with all the Halloween stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. And somebody asked, and I saw this kid asked his, his mom, Mom, what is that? And he says, Oh, that's the Mexican Halloween. <laughs> of course, the, the teacher in me <laughs> didn't leave that alone. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's very, very, very important to point that out that it's, they're totally different. No, that, that is vital to point out. Yeah. And, and of course, now, did I understand correctly that Mecca will be doing the retablos this? Oh, that's true. Uh, as part of the Calavera Rendezvous, uh, there's a retablo auction, and the retablos will also be on exhibition from October the 15th through November the 5th, uh, well, November the 3rd, because that's when they're, uh, uh, I'm sorry, November the 2nd, that's when they're being auctioned. Now, folks, can, now, can folks go at any time to enjoy these exhibits or should, um, obviously there's parties that can go to to commiserate and that's 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 planned out but can they go at any time yes there are there are tours for schools and they, all they have to do is call Mecca and Mecca will provide them you know with, with a tour with somebody taking them through the the building and showing them uh, the altars and we, we have 26 uh, participants this year as far as the altars are concerned and we have over 100-plus retablos wow. that will also be in exhibition at the same time. And how did you go about curating the, the altares? I've been setting up uh, altars for my family for the past four or five years at Mecca and have been helping out with uh, setting up the community altar because it's also an altar that is for the community itself, and the community can bring uh, uh, ofrendas to that altar. And in doing that, then Mecca approached me and asked me, if I would be willing. And I do art on the side. I do a lot of mm. Dia de Muertos art. And last year, I was sort of their artist that uh, displayed mm. my art during that time. So again, you know, Mecca approached me and asked me if I would be willing to do it. And of course. And, and then you went, you, you basically then found folks to work with to put the, because how many ofrendas did you say? That we have, uh, we put out applications because, you know, we, we're limited in space. And therefore, um, we have we have we will have twenty six exhibitions. Wow. Twenty and 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 of course, you know, each one is unique, and uh, there's uh, no there's certain essentials that go into an altar, but you know, they're also very very unique, uh, creative. And, and was part of that too trying to get the twenty seven there, or was it more where some weren't ready and you needed to work with them? Or? Well, we did do workshops. Oh, that's we, beautiful. We did workshops, and and but at the same time, some of these people have been doing this for some time also. Nice. You know, some have been d setting up uh, altars f longer than I have. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, and and then you have the new people that come in and and want to do it for the first time. You know, maybe their their mother or grandmother just died, and 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 they've come to the festival, and they say we would like to do this. So, so it is sort of again, it's organic to the community. You're helping facilitate at the very least to say, well, here's the spot, here's what when you have to set up. But then also, you are there as a resource. You mentioned the, 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 the classes for folks that need them. Um, Correct. Yeah, we emphasize the traditions. You know, certainly if you're doing an ofrendas altar, then we're talking about keeping, uh, respecting the tradition, the Mexican tradition, and these are Mexican ofrenda altars. Uh, certainly if somebody wants to do a memorial, they can, but then we call it a memorial and not necessarily an ofrendas. Now, and that sounds more nuanced than, for example, um, the okay. Okay, you mentioned some folks are going to think, okay, Day of the Dead is it Mexican Halloween? It's not. But tell us about that distinction between memorial, and, and that's more um, 
where commercial meets uh, a, a cultural tradition. A little more nuanced sounds like a memorial, which someone wants to do because they're sad and, and miss someone, versus an ofrenda. What are some of the nuances? Well, the, the thing is, is that when you're talking ofrendas, is is you know, it's, it's a Mexican tradition. So there's certain things that that are part of the tradition because it's also connected with the indigenous. Uh, and therefore, you know, it's the water, wind, fire, and earth are symbolized in, in with the papel picado, with the ofrendas, the foods. Also, since it is a Mexican tradition, and we remember that, you know, that the Aztecs, the Mesoamericans already celebrated the Day of the Dead, and then the Catholics came along, and therefore there was this union between beliefs that existed and the Catholic Church, and therefore the Catholic Church actually moved the celebration to the first and the second, which falls All Saints and All Souls Day. And and therefore, you can't get away that the traditional ofrenda is faith-based. You know, you can't get away from that. So 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 there's three levels. You know, there's the celestial level that you start with. Uh, you know, the we have the saying, you know, Primero Dios, and, and, that's, mm. and that's there. And then the remembered, and then the ofrendas. And that that would be your traditional sense, which which is a great way to put it too, because I think people um, want to do memorials, but then you're right; they may be more um, without those elements. And I think the key part that you're bringing up is we're talking about Mexica indigenous yes. elements, yes, that, absolutely, that are very specific to this. Yeah. And we and we want to keep it that way because what we want to do is we want to keep the tradition alive. Entre, entre el pueblo de Dios, you know, we want to keep it alive, and therefore, again, you know, it's faith-based. I mean, you can't get away from that. And, and you know, you know what's interesting too. I mean, uh, it. I think for folks that then will be like, well, you can't have you know skulls and religious, you know, skull. This sounds like satanic or whatever. There was no idea of Satan in the Mesoamerica. Well, it was a whole other, you know, which is interesting to me too that people would want to put make it the Mexican Halloween, well, the idea of evil in the Western tradition is very different than in the indigenous Mesoamerican Correct. tradition. And, and that's why I say it's different from Halloween because Halloween is about scaring people. You know, boo. You know, this type of thing. And and the Even the idea of trick-or-treat. Trick-or-treat and all of those deceive things. Deceive you. Yeah. Or... <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and Dia de Muertos is not about that. So when you talk about the calaveras or the calacas and so on, uh, you know, you have La Catrina. Uh, so they're really dressed up skulls and, and the sugar skulls and they're decorated. So it's not just a skeleton sitting in the corner somewhere, but it, it's part, La Catrina is very, very much part of the whole celebration. Exactly. You were mentioning about the spirit guides, like the pets or whatever. Uh, the spirit animals. The spirit animals. The spirit animals is also part, uh, part of the celebration. Uh, you know, certainly we have a school... And don't ask me which school right now because I cannot remember. Mm -hmm. We always go blank, you know, when we're asked questions. But the 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 students actually made uh, spirit animals, and and they're going to display them there. Um, but then you have the sempasuchi, uh, the you know the, the marigold, which is very very uh, traditional. Uh, and there are other traditions that we don't think of. It's like the monarch butterfly, mm -hmm. because oh, the yeah. whole idea is that the uh, the monarch butterfly migrates into mm -hmm. Mexico during the fall, yeah. and therefore the, the the belief was that they brought the souls of the dead back to to Mexico. And therefore, and you have the hummingbird. You know, the hummingbird in the Aztec tradition is is that that warriors that died in in war, uh, their their souls inhabited the hummingbird. 
and therefore the hummingbird becomes. So there are a lot of things. There are right. a lot, a lot of symbols in in uh, you know, to to remain with the traditions. Any symbolization for cats? Ooh, <laughs> well, of course, you know we have, <laughs> you know, in the Aztec. Um, I mean, we have the jaguar. I mean, certainly there there's a, a lot of animal spirits in in uh, well played in, in, in the jaguar <laughs> nights. Good job. <laughs> it's a big cat. <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Macario Ramirez. Their Dia de los Muertos altar procession and reception is Saturday, October 27th at 5 p.m. And you can go to them on uh, Facebook. We'll repost that as well. But we've told you some great events at Mecca, Casa Ramirez, three readings, awesome poetry of Roberto Carlos Garcia. We have one of his books left, 713-526-5738. So ton of events ton of cultura. If you didn't enjoy this Hispanic Heritage Month, I think it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming. Thank Gracias. you. Hey, thanks for another great show, folks. Yo, yo. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You can listen to it again at nuestapalabra.org where we have selected podcasts and will also be archived at the University of Houston Digital Archives and all of our hard copies are kept and studied at the Houston Public Library's Hispanic Collections. Thanks for tuning in. And happy Hispanic Heritage Month. This is Tony Diaz, Libertad Saying ciao. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, KPFT is a daily check-in on the workings of democracy. Part of a democracy is an independent press and media. Media like this is supposed to be the check and balance on government. And community radio is one of the few media outlets left that is completely independent. That's why in this age of the greatest media consolidation America has ever seen, having different voices out there is essential. KPFT has been around since 1970 and we have survived through the contributions of people like you. Listeners who donate to KPFT support us because they know that's what keeps KPFT independent. Why wait for a pledge drive? You can join KPFT online at kpft.org. Thomas Jefferson said, People cannot be both ignorant and free. Help keep KPFT vibrant with your financial contribution. Visit kpft.org to join securely online. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio, KPFT Houston. 
Thousands of you have heeded the call, but there's always room for more. You can find KPFT on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. From our latest updates to funny videos, contests, news, and more, you can find us anytime, day or night. We're at KPFT Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'd love to give you the latest. Plus, you're already on Facebook. Why not get behind the scenes of Houston's leader for independent music, arts, ideas, and culture right now? Again,